Hello, I'm Maryam. And I'm Momina. We have been friends since the seventh grade. And over the last 16 years, we have shared a mutual love of Harry Potter and a general apathy towards Stephen Moffat. But like all things, our obsessions have changed. Momina is into fantasy novels, video games, and songs that make her miserable. Mariam has a love for pop music, fitness, and mindless internet content. In this podcast, we'll do a deep dive on something our friend loves. Maybe we'll end up loving it too. Welcome, Welcome to my, my friend's secret, secret obsession. All right, are we live? We are live. Yeah, we're actually not live, but you know, I just feel really cool when I say that. Yeah, it makes me feel like I'm on SNL or something. Uh, it makes me feel like I'm on the radio. <laughs> we have such different lives. Yeah, I've never fantasized about being on SNL. Very clearly. To be honest, SNL is actual crap. It's so bad. If you ever try, like sometimes when I'm into an actor like Edward Norton, I look at their sketches and even they can't sort of save it. It's just cringy. I feel like Edward Norton is just not made for live television because he's just, <laughs> he's so dry for live TV. Yeah, he's too actory. He's too like, yeah, professor. He's, he's like, yeah. And also he's like, um, he just takes himself so seriously. <laughs> yes. But, but he's of, allowed because he's brilliant. I mean, I guess. So we're going, um, we're going all the way to our roots this time. Yes, exciting. It's a little bit closer to home. I mean, we're not in Korea this time around. Yeah, it's a lot closer to home. (laughs) A lot closer to home. And I feel like I should be the one introducing today's topic. Yes. Since since this is is my friend's secret obsession. There we go. That's the name of the title, people. Yeah, you gotta reference it and be like Edward Norton about this. Is that a thing now? Is that a thing we say? <laughs> yeah, what as of like, this episode. <laughs> I'm living for it. Okay, so oh. go. Okay, so today's topic is... Drum roll. Mughal women! I don't know why I just got... did not improve that. Mughal women. Yes. This is your secret obsession. It is. I was about to say, I feel obligated to ask you, like, when did this become your obsession? Because I know nothing about this. It's very interesting. I think so. I did my master's in the UK. And when I went there, I was very surprised by A, how little the Brits knew about what they had done to us. (laughs) So the landscape of colonial rule, they had no idea, which was very depressing to me. But also they were so sort of invested in like the Tudors and the royal houses and Mm. lords and ladies and all of that. And I was just sort of very struck by the fact that we know very little about our own history. They sort of own their history and they're very fascinated by it and they read about it at school. We do read about it at school as well, but it's not um, written in a way that makes you interested in the thing. And, you know, this was a thing that sort of spanned 300 years. The Mughal Empire was the most powerful, the richest empire of its time. They fought with the Portuguese. They were best buds with like the Ottomans. Um, They literally conquered like Uzbekistan, Iran, Afghanistan, India, Bangladesh, 
and we know so little about them. And even in, you know, the subcontinent itself, people don't seem to really know much about it beyond, you know, the buildings that they've visited or the art they've seen. So I think it was part of that that really sort of drew me to it. And you know how, like, in Moana, she says... <laughs> I'm going to bring it back to Disney always because first love. Why not? She says, um, why not? She says, I'm the daughter of the village chief. We descended from Voyagers. Is Disney going to copyright this? Copyright strike this? Because I mean, we make no money off of this, Disney. No, I feel like um, if you do like your own rendition, that's a cover, right? That's what you do. <laughs> I mean, I was crea- trying to sing it. It was a creative but twist. It's <laughs> a creative twist. And that's what you need Very. to add for it to not be copyrighted. <laughs> Yes, it's it's a parody. It's a social commentary. Disney uh-uh. deal with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but so she says, you know, we're descended from voyagers, and it's about her ancestry. And we are literally descended from like conquerors and builders and artists and administrators. And so that was what sort of drew me to the Mughal Empire. And I think women, <laughs> as is often the case, were just far more interesting than men, in usual, uh, you know, as usual, um, because they have sort of like a much more confined space from which to sort of exert their identity and their autonomy. And that was certainly the case for Mughal women. And, and so I think that's where my obsession started. Mm. So I, I mean, in a way, it makes sense for you to be obsessed with them. Like, I wasn't completely surprised that this would be one of your obsessions. Like, it's as far as like Mominaisms go, this is, this is pretty on brand. <laughs> It's on brand. It's on brand. Yeah. But it, it's still something that I wasn't really aware of. You know, like we have some common obsessions, like as we say in our intros, but over the years, our obsessions have changed. Like it made yeah. sense for you to have this as one of your obsessions. Yeah, I think so too. And I think any sort of woman from the subcontinent, if they sort of learn about these women, they will be similarly obsessed because they are so fascinating, so powerful, so literate, so, you know, standing in their own power with confidence. So I think it's something that needs to be taught more. Hmm. So I just, um, just gonna, so this is the point of the show where I'm basically explaining the premise of this podcast, because this is my friend's secret obsession. I am basically the one who's having to do all the research and basically telling you what I found and you're basically going to be filling in the gaps for me. And I got a day off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got the day off. Just just as just as with me in K-pop. I just yes. come in and be like talk about all my favorite boys and girls and music. Yeah. For me, K-pop was really fun because I was watching music videos and like sort of reading think pieces <laughs> of pop culture. I'm sure for you it was was it a little like going back to school? No, it wasn't because, okay, so um, I'm just going to delve into what I found now. Go for it. But yeah. Before you do that, though, could you talk about what you did know about them or just about the Mughal Empire in general, if not Mughal women specifically? Yeah, so um, basically, I just, while I was researching, I just realized how little I know. Because mm. it just made me realize that... The stuff that we went through, like the, 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 the reference material that we had in school was a lot of nothingness. Like I yes. learn, I know next to nothing about our own history. Yeah. And Same. right, right. It's just, it's, it's just, so basically I know very little about the Mughals. Um, mm-hmm. So even down to like, I, I, I would, I would not be able to differentiate like my orange zapes from my barbers. Or my barbers from my Shah Jahan's. Or my Shah- so like, you know, I know we all come from, come from like Genghis Khan. 
But, yes. but I mean, or like Genghis Khan for the white people. I can't even say Genghis. It's like a brown person. It's really hard to say Genghis. Can you say it? Do they say Genghis? Is that what? Yeah, they, they say like G E N G. Don't they just say Genghis? Yeah, maybe I don't know. Sounds a bit French. Maybe I just. It does. But um, I mean, but. Isn't it true, also true that basically every society can trace their roots back to this dude? Yes. He's right? sort of like, you know, I think for the subcontinent, Genghis Khan is what like Charlemagne is to Europeans because they say that mm-hmm. every European can trace their descent to Charlemagne. I was thinking about this today. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, dude fucked a lot of ladies. Probably mm-hmm. not consensually as well. Jesus Christ. Boo. Probably true. As far as you were talking about sort of not knowing enough about Mughals, you know what struck me? So, you know, in like our OA levels, O levels, we used to read the poetry of Bahadur Shah Zafar. And as someone who was into Mughal history, I knew that he was the last Mughal emperor, that uh, Bahadur Shah Zafar was the last Mughal emperor. But it was only until like, I don't know, three years ago where I made the connection that the poet and the Mughal emperor were the same guy. That's how little we are taught about them. That's how less like little it is contextualized for us. No, but this, I, we had a whole ass picture of the poet with his yes. fuck ton of jewelry on him. Don't you remember that? And oh, I think no, that I was don't. kind of the point that he was like the imprisoned emperor. Damn, I think I missed all the context. <laughs> so yeah, I even it's my I, fault. I, no, no, I, I don't think it's your fault at all because like, um, I, so remember back in grade eight when we were introduced to sort of Mughal history I don't know if it's grade oh. eight or later on but it was literally like a like a two-pager and which yeah. basically it was basically the worst possible crash course on how one Mughal and then the next and then the next and then the next and not even I mean we learned nothing about what they did beyond yeah beyond how they fought each other and beyond I, I specifically remember that um, like uh, the only time that we delved into one of the emperors was when we were talking about the Dine, um, Dine Ilahi. It was yeah, Akbar, right? Like, it was Akbar, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was also specifically brought up to say like, oh my God, blasphemous. Am I right? So bad. <laughs> yeah. Huh. That's Creating so true. Religion very... <laughs> bad. Yeah. And then, that is a um, problem with us. I think I think in general Akbar was just like a controversial dude for our school because uh, another story that I specifically remember studying about is him like pushing his own brother off of off of the roof twice. It was Akbar, right? Yes. <laughs> because like we literally know next to nothing about like the people we come from, but yeah. we just know all the shitty things that they did. Can I just say that when you said that, I, I, the image that popped into my head was nothing to do with like the exquisite Mughal art, but it was like <laughs> Scar trying to push Simba off of it. <laughs> Pride Rock. Pride Rock. I mean, honestly, I would like, watch a Mughal version of, um, of the Hamlet. Language? Yeah. Right. So, Hamlet who? Hamlet who? Yeah. But instead of like lines, we can have cats. Oh, I, I like that. I would watch that so bad. What's a very subcontinental sort of cat? Is it like a like a, a tiger super subcontinental? Would I don't be, know. Wouldn't it be like our bakra? What's he called? Panther. No, no, Bahira no. from the Jungle Book? No, the bakra. The Markor. <laughs> Isn't the Markor like the most <laughs> Pakistani? Yes. <laughs> that is true. Can hang off. That is true. 
I'm sorry I called him a bakra but you know what I mean. <laughs> While we're on the topic of the Jungle Book, can I just do my little sort of mini rant on Rudyard Kipling? Go ahead, always. So like white people and even brown people love Rudyard Kipling because he wrote the Jungle Book. It was about the subcontinent, you know, Mowgli and a lot of these sort of Indian influences. Mm-hmm. And we sort of own it as this part of like our own history that we do love. Do we really? Do we really? I don't think any one of us does anymore. I used to love Jungle Book because it was about, it was you know the words akela which means like lonely but what or the like fuck, but what the fuck was king louis doing in an indian jungle <laughs> No for real it's very true <laughs> Like how Mon Rajar Kipling get your shit together yet, I mean are all the brownos or all the asians just the same for him Yeah that is true Like what the fuck is an orangutan so doing the in the indian jungle <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. But my point about him was remember the Amritsar massacre where the British basically opened fire on civilians and killed yeah. like thousands of brown people. Mm-hmm. He actually donated to General Dyer's fund and wrote a very complimentary piece on General Dyer for sort of upholding British values and protecting the empire in the British new- newspaper and he was actually awarded like some order of the empire thing um by the whatever Queen Victoria. And so we as brown people should hate Rudyard Kipling and sort of say no to the jungle book no thanks no thanks Rudyard Kipling no thanks i i mean i agree with the sentiment there we 100% go. it's it's like the churchill am- thing right it's like it's the churchill thing like how yeah. even the brits are now questioning why we celebrate somebody who did all these things and who just like yes and we're celebrated for it and are still yeah. celebrated for it are still in the dark art the darkest hour whatever that Gary Oldman movie was where he played Churchill like they they don't portray him as Churchill they just he's like a sassy guy who defeated the nazis but he's not a guy who i think Churchill once said that one shelf of british literature is equal to the entirety of subcontinental literature in the world and that is Churchill for you guys please remember he was snarky he was sassy he had a good quip but he was a racist do not forget that I I think this quote is actually the perfect segue for me to talk about my research and kind of like the Please sources do. I found because now that yes. you know that I knew next to nothing about them specifically I knew next to nothing about women in yes. the Mughal history because I do believe you remember back in the day our history book would have like these little boxes that had like a little bit of extra knowledge that was that had nothing to do with the chapter but there were just yes. like bits of information so i just remember mm-hmm. one specific box which was for the rani of chansi i don't know if you remember Ooh. that but it was like i don't remember anything before i was like 15 but sure that's okay. i'll take your word for it <laughs> that's okay but yeah there was like a tiny box with just like a one or two liner about the rani of chansi and that was basically it so i went in completely blind and i feel mm-hmm. like um even now i know next to nothing about them and going back to that uh, the churchill um quote the thing with my research is that i really struggled to find something that was a little bit credible so, so i mean um what i found was and honestly when i found out about this i wasn't surprised is that so there are three takes on mughal history one is obviously um the eurocentric take on it right which is all the goras coming over and just and just make basically writing fan fiction about what they think goes down in the palaces 
right? Yeah. That, that's what it is. It's like Gora fan fiction about what they think Shah Jahan does all day. Gora, by the way, means white. You're welcome, Gora means people. white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so th- there's that take. And that's basically mm-hmm. the take that's most widely known, right? So um, when I was trying to look for um, like sources about, let's say, Jahara, for example. So I'm going to be using Jahara as like, the, I'm sorry uh, to make that comparison, but what BTS was to, la- uh, to our last <laughs> podcast, Jahara is going to be that. Like, or, be or, window, or, or window we into two women. Memory proud. Yeah. <laughs> just as bts was your window into k-pop moment so um yeah so basically everything that we know about jahara through like the gora literature is mm-hmm. basically fan fiction about what these goras thought was going down in like the the harams i'm not gonna say harem because mm-hmm. you know fuck that but <laughs> yes but uh yeah and so you know what they thought was oh my god so here's a girl who's probably super hot and who's probably spending all this time just like, you know, doing her makeup. They probably thought of her as like, you know, what we think of Instagram influencers today. It's like she just, <laughs> be, yeah, she spends all her day getting ready and probably like bitching around with the rest of her bitchy girls. And yeah. that's what she does all day, right? Like Marie Antoinette or something. Basically, basically. And, and they'd never seen her. They hadn't even been like, you know, in the courts with her. So they wouldn't know what she does in her day. Yeah. So there was that take. Then there mm-hmm. was uh, the Pakistani take. And I'm just going to say that I wasn't really able to find, no surprises, any like academic sources about, that would explain to me what, uh, who Jahara was or what she did. But yes. very, um, once again, very unsurprisingly, from like the, the Pakistani take, or like the Pakistani version of Jahara's history is that she was a tabedar beti. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to translate daughter. that? Dutiful daughter, right? There we go. <laughs> She's a dutiful daughter. And, yeah. uh, dutiful and beautiful, don't forget those no, hand Dutiful hand. and beautiful, of course, of there course. So she, um, so according to like, um, I don't want to say historians because I don't know if it's historians who would qualify that. But this version of history says that uh, she spent most of her years taking care of her dad because she was just like the best Muslim version of a daughter that you could ever have because duh, yeah, she's because a princess. The thing that makes the, yeah, the, that's the what makes her worthy. Princess. That's what makes a princess worthy if she takes care of the king. Come on. Yeah, come yeah, on. Right? And then yeah. um, I also had to dig with um, like the Indian take on this history. Yeah. And I will say I did like it. Uh, I did like quite a lot. And by quite a lot, I mean, I, was, I basically followed two women. Maybe mm-hmm. you know about them. I mean, I'm sure you know about them. So there's Ruby Lal, um, mm-hmm. who is a historian. And, and she's written a couple of books um, about like the, Mughal, the, the women in the Mughal Empire. And then yes. there is Ira Mukoti, who's obviously written Daughters of the Sun, which would be mm-hmm. like... Which, which is also, which basically gave me a lot more knowledge than did, you know, the, the Gora literature did. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I really learned was that, uh, was, a, was a term that I wasn't really quite familiar with, which is bazaar gossip. Ooh. Right? Which, bazaar. by the way, is a word that white people get from us. Yeah. Yeah. So bazaar. As go- is veranda and kamarban. Pantaloon. Pantaloon. 
Ooh, can I tell you a little, a little segue? Um, the word, you know, like big cheese. He's a big cheese. Huh? That comes from how in our language, like buddy cheese is like big cheese. Cheese is like thing. So he's a big thing. And so that turned into big cheese and that turned into cheese with an S-E like cheddar. So that's also a word that the Brits get from us. You're welcome, Brits. I've also heard the word shampoo comes from us. Yes, it does. And that mm. completely ruins one of my trivia questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I was an English language trainer for a while. So Damn it. <laughs> so there, I used to teach this whole segment where I'm like, hey, what else do you think comes from our language? The word karma. Damn. <gasps> yeah. Yes. I never thought about that. That's yeah. very obvious. Yeah. The word bungalow. Yes. Bungalow veranda. Yeah. <laughs> it's like these little things that we're clinging on to because we have nothing <laughs> else. Ours. Okay. <laughs> you stole yeah, come from on. <laughs> Something. Give <laughs> us the fucking... What's the, the Kohinoor back, Brits? Come on. Be nice. Be nice. <laughs> yep. I mean, anyway. the Brits have basically stolen a lot from many nations. Let's just be yeah. honest. Yeah. But anyway, well. so uh, uh, this term is something that I was, uh, I became familiar with for the first time. So That's through well. the works of Ruby Lal and Ira Mukoti, I learned this term, which is bazaar gossip. And what I learned was, I mean, inevitably, all that we know about the uh, Mughal women is through bizarre gossips uh, bizarre gossip that the goras heard Ooh. and that's what they wrote about which was oh my god these princesses were beautiful and they'd spend all these days just beautifying themselves and just waiting for a king to spare a glance in their direction because i mean of course that's what princesses do right that is the point of women people that come is on the point of women yeah so i would never have known and once again, like when they were narrating these instances and when they were telling me about Jahara, all I could think was, I mean, duh, of course they were this way. Like, why have I never thought about this? Mm. So one thing that I was um, not surprised to hear, but still heard for the first time, was that these were A, highly educated women. Yes. And B, very, very nomadic women who would make a lot of um, I mean, politically driven trips around the subcontinent. Yes. Um, so this is something that I did not know about. I, did ne- I never read about. And, mm. and it kind of made me angry because this is, yes. this is such an amazing concept. And also they were highly educated and not just uh, like our version of what we would say, I mean, qualified. You know how, like now, what would you, how would you describe a person who is highly educated? I mean, honestly, someone who has like a degree, someone who's sort Mm. of written a book or two, but Mm. not someone who sort of engages in independent thought. Like, you know, to me, um, it's just someone who's read, you know, a degree, I think is the way I would qualify it. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, makes sense. But also these women I learned were, like they were given a, a whole lot of soft skills, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, we know about the etiquette and about the beautifying and all of that. But they also had to mm-hmm. learn many languages. They had to learn arithmetic. They just yeah. had to know, they, they had to be experts in history. Because, yeah. because, I mean, the lineage and all that shit, you know. 
Mm-hmm. I think the thing is that they were also sort of, uh, they were engaging in independent thought. They were writing commentaries. They were writing mm. sort of, you know, independent scholarly pieces, which is sort of unheard of. I remember when yeah. I was in university, being very struck by these women, Germaine Greer and Gayatri Spivak and all the rest of them. And I thought, wow, this generation of women from the 70s and 60s. But you forget that this has been happening for decades and centuries in China, in the subcontinent. And yeah. we just sort of, that all that progress has been lost to like time and, and sort of colonialism and all the rest of it. And, and now all of these firsts are being seen as actual firsts when they're not. They're just sort of resurgences of things that have happened for so long and we've just sort of lost our way. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And another thing that I um, was also surprised to hear is that we, in fact, do have a lot of recorded history. It's just that it hasn't been interpreted properly. Mm. And you know what? I feel like history at the end of the day is fan fiction. <laughs> like unless you've it lived really it, it really, I yeah. mean, it is fan fiction, right? Because you don't really know what went down because there's this yeah. whole, um, so um, while I was obviously finding out about them, there was this one incident where Jahana gets, I mean, she gets burnt and she's really properly yes. injured, right? You know what I'm talking yeah. about, right? The incident? Mm-hmm. Her 30th birthday or something. Oh, I did not know that. And so it took see, her like a year to recover. Yeah. 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 And so like um, each article or each like source that I uh, read just had their own version of how it happened. And, and yeah. they wrote it in such detail that, you know, they might might as well have been there. One yeah. source that I read was just, they described it just so romantically that she was so beautiful oh, no. and the fire fell in love with her and <laughs> just like embraced her. Oh, <laughs> And I feel like anytime you write about uh, women in history, there yeah. is a weird romantic aspect to it. Like, did you yeah. notice that? Or maybe yeah, there's always this about sexual it. aspect. Like, I feel like Jahan is one of those women. She's my favorite. She was sort of called the princess of princesses. Um, she was given the title of Padshah Begum, which is sort of like the first lady and is usually only reserved for the wives of Mughal emperors. But she was the first daughter of a Mughal emperor who was given that title, which sort of tells you just, you know, and how, what stead and what sort of acclaim people held her in. But uh, my problem with the way people deal with Jahara, she was, like you say, she was very learned. She was into medicine and poetry and all the rest of it. But a lot of the accounts that I read of her are about, ooh, how she took no man because she was subservient to her father and she took care of him and she didn't have sex, basically. They're sort of obsessed with the fact that she did not get with a guy her whole life. And I find that very disturbing because she had so many accomplishments. Um, She was a huge sort of arbiter in the fights between her brothers. And and you'll talk more about that before, so I won't go into too much detail. But it really annoys me how many accounts I had to read of this woman um, before, you know, I could get to something more substantial than, oh, she was a virgin because she was, you know, dutiful to her father or whatever the fuck. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah, and also just like this, um, this aspect of her history of her having a good relationship with the father is also written in several different ways. For, so, for instance, yeah. obviously the Pakistanis are going to talk about how much of a tabedar beti, aka dutiful, sure. dutiful daughter she is, and then the Goras yeah. are obviously going to write about how they probably had an incestuous relationship. Yeah, they were bunking for sure. Cause like, why of would course. a daughter? <laughs> because that's what women do. 
Uh, women, am I right? I'm a man, I'm a man. Just waiting for their mother to die, giving birth to her fourteenth child before they swoop in and try to have sex with the dad. Jesus Christ! Uh, so, yeah. So I'm just gonna talk about Jahara more now that we've established how just how varying all these different accounts are across the country. So, like, you know, India and Pakistan we used to be one nation, and we have such different accounts. And these uh, these accounts are obviously very, very religiously driven as well. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have like the Gora accounts, <laughs> which are just, yeah. which I mean, yeah, I feel like I've been clear enough on what I think about that. Yeah. But I just, I mean, the more I learn about Jahara, the more I just love how ambitious she yeah. is, right? Yeah. She's just like almost, almost like fiercely ambitious. Like, yeah, she was, you know, she was really good to her dad. I, I'm not I, not to question her relationship with her father, but I I mean she wanted to be Pacha Begum, right? She wanted to she be Pacha did. Begum and not let her sister be Pacha Begum, and so it you know like her relationship with her father was super strategic, and mm-hmm. then um, like her relationship with Dara Shiko, am I saying yeah. Dara Shiko? So back when she thought okay he might have a shot at taking the throne. So she was like, okay, yeah. I need to be behind him. And as soon as she realized, uh-uh, it's not going to be him, she fixed her relationship with her other brother because she wanted to stay fucking Pacha Begum because she worked her ass for it. And I'm like, you go, I girl. Fully, yes, I fully agree that it was strategic. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, once again, people like to romanticize a, a woman's position in history, right? And I just feel yeah. like just she was a fully modern woman. And she was a fully capable and ambitious woman. And so I do feel like the relationships that she had were strategic. And I'm here for it. I am as well. I feel like one of the things that I love about her was that, yes, she was very strategic. Yes, you could tell that she was fiercely ambitious. But at the same time, she was a very sort of uh, simple woman. I mean, it sounds kind of ridiculous because she did have a lot of money and after her mother died, she got like a million dollars, uh, a million rupees, sorry, which in today's money might as well be a million dollars. I don't know. But so she had a very sort of grand lifestyle, but she was still, you know, she was fought for women's rights. She gave to the poor. Um, and so I think it's a very, you know, not to be super reductive, but I think it's a peculiarly woman thing where you can be ambitious but you're always also looking out for the underdog because you know you are always going to be the underdog in any position whether you're a woman a princess in the Mughal era or like a woman in sort of corporate America whatever Um, so I really like that duality of her because she is both sort of you know strong and also vulnerable and there's nothing wrong with that she's a complex fucking being she is. Yeah, because, you know, w- once again, uh, going back to the fact that history is a lot of fan fiction, and especially mm-hmm. when you're writing about people, it's a lot of fan fiction. And so, mm-hmm. so the narratives are always what these men think women are, and they can be strong or they can be like utter, like influencer bimbos or like, you know. Yeah, Madonna and the whore. Yeah, yeah, obvi, Madonna and the whore. Nothing in between. Or, you know, like the modern take of the Madonna and the whore, which is like sassy or awkward, but but not, or like nothing in between. Or like not, Have you not everything. Have Stephen Moffat shows? Uh, 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 who <laughs> is he? We don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continue. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, so just like uh, the one of the reasons why I clung to the works of Ira Mukherjee and Ruby Lal is because I mean they're women, and Ruby mm-hmm. Lal is uh, I mean she proclaims that she is a feminist historian, and so her mm-hmm. take is going to um, is going to consider all, every aspect of being a woman, and I I think you're right. Like this insight, obviously this is your obsession, so you know about it more deeply. I'm still on that stage one <laughs> where I'm just learning about them and just being fascinated. Mm-hmm. And I'm still not over like the novelty of wow, this was a woman who I mean she was a fucking pacha begum, which means that she signed off a lot of the rules in this fucking country. Like uh, apparently she's yes. one of the only women who has who had her own stamp, and like she would sign off a lot of these rules which is like a first yeah she had the imperial seal and mm. so her word was basically the word of the emperor yeah yeah and no other w- woman had that right yes no other women had that right um and also another thing that i really love about her is that so she was sort of like what we would call sort of slightly liberal in the sense that of course so a bit of context. So the Mughal Empire, basically their father was Shah Jahan and Dara Shiko was the heir apparent. So he was going to be prince, like you said, and she was pretty sort of cozy with him. Um, but then there was a huge tussle between Dara Shiko and Aurangzeb, who actually did become emperor at the end. Um, and when Aurangzeb was in power, she, you know, she didn't have that much influence. I mean, she went from being the first lady to basically being the woman who had supported his nemesis in a sense. Um, But she still sort of didn't stop fighting for the rights of the vulnerable. She argued against his restoring of like the poll tax on non-Muslims, which is a thing in the subcontinent where non-Muslims would have to basically pay a tax because they were non-Muslim. And uh, she said, you know, that that that's unfair. She um, at one point um, was so, um, she had, um, she was a huge believer in sort of Sufism and Sufism is this sort of like mystical ascetic branch of Islam, uh, which is very sort of not non-violent. And is that, is that the right way to describe it? No, I, I love it. You said it was mystical aesthetic. <laughs> no, I meant like ascetic, like A-C-S. Oh. Yeah, yeah, like... Got it, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> mystical because, aesthetic. Because there is that. that. There is that. Because I mean, when you think of Sufism, you think of those, you know, um, yeah. You're, you're whirling dervishes aesthetics, yes yeah <laughs> well aesthetic and aesthetic uh, both. um but she would have been basically the highest in her order in that sort of on that path of sufism but only because she wasn't a woman she wasn't allowed to be so she's like a fascinating woman and if you sort of break down her accomplishments and you know the people that she fought for it's very interesting and another sort of little fact about her so of course the Mughal empire is known for its like architecture and its buildings and all the rest of it and out of um so their father Shah Jahan had the the city built for himself called Shah Jahanabad which is pretty narcissistic but there we go <laughs> he was the emperor after all and out of the like 18 buildings in that city uh, she commissioned five of them so for a woman to commission these beautiful works of art was sort of unheard of in that time um, and so she like paved a, a huge sort of path for women in the subcontinent which has since been completely like decimated but we appreciate you Jahara thank you for what you did same just for context shah jahanabad is uh modern day delhi yeah right okay yeah he renamed it uh yeah i mean listen we renamed some everything wouldn't I mean, you we... want like a mariam abad a mariam abad there's so many abads i mean there's yeah i mean people will always be narcissistic in their 
overtures. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so many roads in, in our country are named after white people. So I think it's only fair. Oh, yeah. Lincoln Road. And what else? Yeah. Grand Trunk Road. I mean, not after white people, but it's in English, which sucks. Yeah, it GT does. Cheetah Road. GT Road. Yeah. A Sher Sarsuri made, just FYI. I wonder why he <laughs> named it. What did he name it when he made it? I have no idea. Yeah, maybe he named it Sher Sarsuri. That's a tongue twister. I do not Sher appreciate Shasuri. that. <laughs> Say that three times really fast. Go. Sher Sarsuri. Sher Sarsuri. Sher Sarsuri. I fumbled the second time anyway. There you go. Okay, so just speaking of um, just how liberal women were and just how like how we continue to be surprised. Uh, who was mm. the Mughal woman who um, went on Hajj back Ooh, in the day? Yeah, I do not know that. Do you know? Was it Jahara? Or was I, it I think Jahara? Jahara did do like a world tour. I, ah. I quickly Google that. So basically... Google. Um, according to Ira Mukoti, mm-hmm. let me just see. Maybe Ira Mukoti wrote a lot about. I believe she wrote about Noor Jahan then, didn't she? Yeah, Noor Jahan was a badass as well. Yeah, so I think it might be Noor Jahan who did the the Hajj. Just like, let's quickly Google that. Did you find that? Um, pilgrimage to Mecca. Da, 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 da. This is bad podcasting. I cannot find it. Of That's his okay. aunt, Akbar's aunt. I don't know who this is. So Jahara's aunt was Noor Jahan, right? Yeah, it's kind of very confusing. So I actually yeah. wrote this down because I <laughs> am one of those people coming from a brown family, a lot of cousins, a lot of like people in our house. So I 100% have made a family tree of my own family because I cannot keep them straight. There's just too many brown people for me to count. Okay. But um, I think... Jahan Ara's maternal grandfather was the brother of Noor Jahan, who ended up marrying her paternal grandfather. She was basically the grand niece of Noor Jahan. Hmm. Is the yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm okay, brown enough for ya. I okay. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna risk it and say that it was Noor Jahan who went on Hajj. Go for it. Sounds and like we can. Sounds like her. <laughs> But I am, um, and so while you're speaking, I'm just going to quickly Google and correct myself. But yeah, something that Ira Mukhoti was saying about this particular woman, who whom mm-hmm. we shall confirm, she that, who must not be named, she who must not be named, went on Hajj. But uh, so what Ira Mukhoti was saying uh, was that this is just the language that she used because she wanted to go on a fucking world tour with her girlfriends <gasps> and just oh have a great God. time. So she took like. 30 women with her and spent three years yes. just traveling. But what she told everybody um, was that she's going on a pilgrimage, on a holy pilgrimage. Just having like margaritas or money yeah. or something. Yeah, isn't that like such a modern girl thing to do? Like tell yes, your parents, like, I'm going on like um, a, a business trip. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. No sex in the city. <laughs> Absolutely none of that. Right? Isn't that equal so to sex cool? in the city? Like, I'm yes, I love it. Hate on us for saying that, but I fucking love it. That she, that's, I yeah. mean, she knew how to use like, you know, people's religious sensitivities and just say, okay, I'm just going on like a really holy pilgrimage and I'm taking all these women with me. And when we come back, we're just going to be like these pious ass 
I shouldn't say pious and ass in the same pious ass women. Really? You know what I mean, right? Yes, you've got but, to work with what you have. That's the rule. Rule number one of being a woman is like exactly is know how make to make your space wherever you can. Yeah, yeah. Because, and I just feel like it's just amazing that she understood her place and she knew mm-hmm. how to get what she want want. And you know, it's in a way that she's manipulating the people around her in the best way possible because it's. Yes. Think about like women in the corporate world. Like some sometimes you know you have to play the bimbo when people yeah. are trying to like mansplain things to you. Yeah. Or just like, or you know when someone takes a condescending tone to you just because you're a woman, and you know there are yeah. some women who just take, just like you know take it as it is and then and weaponize it almost right. Yeah. And so they yes. they ask them just so they can get whatever they want and also have people do it for them. And I feel like yeah, you go girl. I get it. Totally get it. Yes. Can right. I just quote the great Tyrion Lannister um, here? Because I think it's appropriate. Go ahead. He says, wear your weakness as armor. Mm. For surely the world will not. Make it your strength, then it can never be your weakness. There we go. Yeah. I, think that's, I think I've butchered that quote. But yeah, you've got to work with what you've got, basically, especially as a woman. Yeah. So I just feel like um, the fact that Ira Mukoti kind of saw that because you know obviously it's not once again this has to be a little bit of like a fangirl kind of but you know it's like when you don't know enough about somebody or somebody's story you sort of fill in the gaps with what you think it might be mm-hmm. you know just in the yeah. way if like um, a thousand years down the road people dig up like the ruins of California and they find t- tanning beds right and they don't really know what they are and so they're probably going to think like you know, the emperors would toast their men. <laughs> if they were like, <laughs> I like my bad. men like I like my coffee. Gently exactly. toasted. Gently toasted. <laughs> but you know, you know what I mean, yeah. right? Because we don't yeah, know. Yeah, I absolutely like, know what you mean. Yeah, if you don't know if the Mayans actually would like sacrifice the virgins on top of the pyramids. Like what mm-hmm. if we just like, we just, we've assumed and we filled in the gaps, right? Yeah. So I feel like this was just an interesting take of Ira Mukoti filling in the gap and thinking, okay, maybe she just didn't want to just go on this holy pilgrimage. Maybe she just wanted to have fun with her girlfriends, which is why she took so many with her. Yeah. And it's yeah. just I think Ira Mukoti needs, she wants a vacation and she's projecting. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? I mean, don't we all well, in the COVID 19 era? Yeah. Mm. Just want to get out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> But Nuri Jahan is actually super interesting. So her history is that her husband was like a government officer person and he was involved in a plot against the then Emperor Jahangir, uh, who was the grandfather of uh, Jahara. And um, her husband was killed in this sort of mutiny and she became part of his uh, harem, harem for white people. And from... (laughs) <laughs> from this harem she basically somehow became his wife um, and that's fascinating in and of itself um, but she was extremely strong like she was matriarch as fuck um, you know she worked a lot on labor laws she issued her first sort of royal order to protect the land rights of employees um, she used to um, go on the imperial balcony which was sort of unheard of in that time for a woman to do so the first woman to show up on the imperial balcony and saying, yes, this is who I am. I am powerful. Deal with it. Um, And uh, she even sort of like a warrior type as well. She led an army to save her husband Jahangir when he was taken captive once. Um, And and so she was also like a fascinating woman. I just really don't know why we 
we didn't ever learn about these women because I feel like so this is sort of like a tangent but um you know growing up as a little brown girl who do you recall your female heroes being did you have any absolutely none which is why i feel like we clung on to jk rowling like we did because we had absolutely no points of reference yeah i feel like for me the one sort of brown slash black or like poc person that i looked up to as a kid was condoleezza rice who was the secretary of state and i used to think wow this woman who looks like me is like so important in the american government and then of course the war on terror started and she was legit a war criminal who like you know contravened the whatever geneva geneva convention and had a, like a completely unconstitutional illegal war in iraq and and so you sort of learned uh, perhaps perhaps maybe look closer to home and look to people who really do define who you are in some way but yeah we had a huge, like a dearth of like female brown or even poc role models at the time to be um, fair uh, to be fair i feel like um, the only uh, woman that really was given that hero status back in the day was benazir and i feel like that yeah, I mean, yeah so benazir political figure prime minister of pakistan oh, yeah that is true. first female prime and minister like, in Asia? First prime minister in the world who gave the birth world. one office, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Um, it's very cute because her daughter, uh, Bakhtavar Bhutto, has that as her <laughs> Twitter bio that I was the first <laughs> baby born to a sitting prime minister in the whole world, which I think is very, very cute. That is amazing. And she gave birth twice, right? Yes, she did. I think um, both times she was in office, yeah. Because yeah. she was elected twice. Yeah, and yeah. I uh, I remember, I mean, I don't know how much authenticity there is, but uh, she was also pregnant while she made her trip to, um, what's it called? That peak, that super high peak. K2. Sachin! <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> yeah, she oh, was wow, also pregnant Jesus. when she made her, her trip. Damn, I can barely make a trip to my fridge these days. <laughs> and I am not pregnant, decidedly yeah. not pregnant. But you know like, how like um this is something that not the the entire world doesn't know about and now that um you know the the prime minister of New Zealand yeah, like, just yeah, and she's being celebrated for it. I just feel like, you know, brown, we should be appreciating yeah. brown women just as much because she did it first. She did it first, god damn it. Don't yeah. discount our accomplishments just because we're brown. Yeah. I guess so coming back to Noor Jahan, was she a co-sovereign? She wasn't, but she basically was. I mean, she wasn't uh. officially, but she also, um, you know, she issued imperial orders all the time. Um, mm. And she, um, you know, the administration was sort of practically taken over by her because um, even the orders of the emperor were signed by her. So not quite the imperial seal, but any sort of law that the emperor Jahangir would bring into sort of fruition uh, could be signed by her. So, yeah, I mean, practically uh, nothing could be done without her consent pretty cool hmm. Hmm. Another... she was also a hunter by the way yeah i've heard about this and this was a uh, hunting was something that only the moguls could do right yeah only the like the nobles and yeah i guess sort of very much like the brits i guess because uh just who has the resources to hunt if you're not super wealthy <laughs> But, um, okay, so uh, one thing that I learned about Noor Jahan, obviously, mm-hmm. like, you know, her uh, relationship with her husband is very, very celebrated. But then also, 
the 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 anarchy play is also very very famous right and so yes uh, anarchy's whole premise is that Shahzada Salim falls in love with one of the uh, one of the who was anarchy anyway she was one like a like normal like courtesan yeah. yeah a lady in waiting for the princess um mm-hmm. Uh, and so what i learned was that uh, the character uh, the fictional character of uh, anarkeli comes also from bazaar gossip and they Ooh. heard the word merunissa and they didn't know that merunissa was just another name for noor jahan oh so, i did not know this i didn't Learning know so much yeah so basically bazaar go- they would gossip about how the shahzada has been taken by this woman and you know she's probably just like a normal girl because you know they would they heard the name merunissa but they couldn't confirm yeah. it and so the the term anarkeli because you know she was beautiful like mm-hmm. anarkeli like an literally means like like a the like the bud of a pomegranate yeah so she was beautiful like that so from <laughs> beautiful <laughs> like the bud of a the pomegranate. bud of a pomegranate i'm sure they oh, don't understand <laughs> But you're a bud of a pomegranate. Oh my god. <laughs> These people have such stupid names. If you think about it, like Shah Jahan means like king of the world. King of the world. <laughs> <laughs> like Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic. Akbar Jahan. Akbar means great. Oh my god, I'm so great. I'm going to yeah. yeah, imagine just naming your kid great. Great. It's pretty messed up. It's like Alexander yeah. the Taj Great. Bahal. He's like I'm a I'm a just be great. I'm just be great. Let's not no need for Alexander. <laughs> It's too much, too many steps. Yeah. Also, we should point out to our white audiences or whoever doesn't know that um Shah Jahan, uh, sorry, Jahan Ara, the woman that we're talking about, her mother is Mumtaz Mahal who the Taj Mahal was built for. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. And Taj Mahal incidentally also means crown castle. Yeah. which is like a name that basically every marriage hall has in Pakistan and India I'm sure <laughs> because Crown of Castle, this, uh, Taj Mahal. this the 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 romanticism that's involved with oh yeah. I'm just building a whole as building for you because he misses you so much yeah <laughs> <laughs> my wife i love you so much let me build a building for you that is so romantic you shouldn't have have you seen <laughs> a whole building come on made of marble get me an iphone yeah when you would have am... to kill anybody <laughs> imagine imagine if he would just like get somebody to make the world's greatest smartphone and he makes you like he invents the iphone for your wife and then you kill him <laughs> so that yeah, he, just, he doesn't build another iphone ever iphone die with it <laughs> jeez so that sounds like something steve jobs would have done with it steve jobs was a nutcase jesus christ Can I just say have you ever seen the graves of Jahan Ara's parents Mumtaz Mahal and Shah Jahan in the Taj Mahal <clears throat> if not you should because they will trigger your OCD so Shah Jahan clearly made this whole ass building for his wife's uh, resting place and so she is it's like a hexagon and her grave is right in the middle of that hexagon and after he died his kids thought oh they should rest together so he is to the left of the hexagon and it's totally asymmetrical and it will drive you mad is so annoying because it's not symmetrical. Jeez. <laughs> you think after all the architecture that they're celebrated for, they know how to how to build their <laughs> resting places. Jeez. Yeah. Well, one thing I just kind of want to know is that these Mughal boys, 
know, these Mughal mm-hmm. fuckboys, uh, or, I mean, I'm sorry, these Mughal boys are simultaneously known as like famous fuckboys and also just super devoted husbands. So which one is it? Well, it's weird because they had so many wives and they had so many concubines on top of that. And they had like favorite concubines and they had concubines that they would just have for like separate heirs that there's like a risk spreading thing, whatever it's called, mitigation of risk so that you have like thousands of heirs. So I feel like it was a different culture. As a woman, I don't want to sort of argue for this, but I feel like the concubines, this is super sexist of me, please point it out if you think it is. But I feel like in that sort of cultural sort of system, concubines served a very specific purpose and the wives served a very specific purpose. So although it sounds very sexist and sort of antiquated to our modern sensibilities, I feel like sometimes the men were really devoted to their wives. Like, so Nur Jahan's husband, Jahangir, um, he had married a lot of women before her, but she was his last because she was such a strong personality that he could not bear to take more wives on after him. Uh, same with Shah Jahan. He did have concubines, but uh, he was devoted to Mumtaz Mahal and he never remarried after her death and he never even married during her life. And, and, and he was so struck by her death that he was completely sort of inconsolable and it was only his daughter that sort of brought him back to life as it were. So I feel like some of them were good men and some of them were just fuckboys. Is that sexist? Is that fair? I mean, I feel like it's no different from like the fuckboys of the modern era because, you know, Jahangir, Jahangir is literally like the, the way that he falls for um, Mehran Nisa, a.k.a. Noor Jahan. I mean, it's mm-hmm. so typical, you know, he's basically likes her because no woman has ever treated him like that. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Twilight, but like Mughal. Oh my God. No, I'm, I was actually referring to that, you know, the famous Kabutar incident? No, I don't. Tell me. Oh, I feel God. like I don't know anything about Mughal history now. What the f- <laughs> This is your obsession. I'm just going to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, um, you know, I feel like I have, I can add a little bit because now as we're talking about it, it's just some of these incidents are coming back to me. Uh, mm-hmm. from, but the Kabutar story, I'm totally going to butcher it. And I, because I'm. Go for it. Go for it. Well enough. But I think uh, the story goes that. Um, Shahzada Salim hands Merunissa a kabooter and, mm-hmm. and tells her to take care of it uh, while he just like comes back and then when he comes back the, um, he, the kabooter isn't there kabooter by the way means pigeon <laughs> oh, <laughs> just, yeah. yeah so when he comes back it, the pigeon isn't there and he's like where'd it go and she's like it flew away and he's like why'd you let him flew away and she said something like okay I don't know what she says but I, I basically don't know the punchline <laughs> <laughs> welcome welcome to i think i may have read this on wikipedia five minutes ago <laughs> oh uh, one second i don't even know this story i'm so sorry no but uh, and it, uh, basically the point is that then uh, uh he asks her how did the pigeon fly away and she, so she basically flexes and takes another pigeon out and lets it free and these are rare fucking pigeons that the prince really likes and he's like oh this is how it flew away you you privileged shithole. You minx. Yeah. <laughs> no, so basically, um, and uh, Shahzada Salim is like, no girl has ever treated me this way. Get in my bed oh, right now. Wow. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this is, isn't that just like so... Like, yeah, that's very Bollywood. Not just Bollywood. Isn't this just on brand with like fuckboys? 
Yeah, that is, yeah. Oh my God, she dare question my authority? I love her. Yeah. Okay, so uh, the bottom line is they're very devoted husbands, maybe because, or maybe we've just romanticized them so much. Maybe we have, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very but, likely. But I mean, Noor Jahan's and um, what's his face? <laughs> Jahangir's relationship is very famously a uh, close one. Yeah, I imagine them to be sort of super into BDSM. I don't know why. I feel like she was sort of super strong and I think she took charge and I feel like they had a lot of kinky sex. Because it's like no one treated me this way. Yeah, I think there was a lot of choking involved. I'm going to like, if anyone from my work ever, please do not say what company I work for, but if anyone (laughs) from work discovers this, I'm going to be fired immediately. (laughs) Say no more. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, anyway. so I, I just I kind of love how we're just trying to like oversimplify this. Okay, so uh yeah. Salim is a fuckboy and um <laughs> Jahara is an influencer. <laughs> she probably just posts on Have Instagram you seen <laughs> Have you seen drunk history? That's what this feels like. It's just two people just like making shit up mostly. <laughs> Isn't that basically what history is? That is true. Two yeah, people that is very true. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay, okay, so another thing I sort of wanted to talk about is that it was Mumtaz Mahal. So did you do any research on Mumtaz Mahal, who is the daughter, who is the mother of Jahan Ara and is the woman that Taj Mahal was built for? I actually did not because all I learned was that uh, Jahan Ara was more influenced by her, by her aunt than she was by her mom so i did not look into her that would make sense but like my thing with mumtaz mahal is that she is sort of i think she might be the most famous mughal person um in history because of the taj mahal itself because it was built in her memory but i feel like she's painted as this sort of motherly sort of romantic tragic figure who died far too young and that is Completely true, but I feel like she also was like a really sort of impressive woman. She wasn't as strong of a personality as her daughter or as her, you know, whatever the hell Noor Jahan was to her. I cannot with family trees, it's too much maths. But um, she was pretty interesting in her own right. She, you know, she provided pensions and donations to the daughters of poor scholars and theologians and pious people because she was very concerned about, because she had daughters herself, she was very concerned about, um, you know, making sure that the women in the empire um, were you know literate and could look after themselves she was married when she was 19 she lived for another 19 years in those 19 years she gave birth to 14 fucking children um, and of course healthcare being what it was half of them died um, so she had a lot of tragedy in her life um, and then she was also sort of slightly influential in her own way not like you know no Jahara, but she was a, she had a very kind heart and she succeeded in getting her husband to sort of forgive enemies or like commute death sentences so in that sense she was a very sort of kind and generous woman and I and I hope that history remembers her for that rather than the fact that some asshole like built a marble palace for her interesting you know what this reminded mm-hmm. me of you know that episode mm-hmm. of game of thrones where it's uh, joffrey's birthday and the drunk idiot he just wants to kill him and Sansa. it's like no just me <laughs> that's kind of what it reminds <laughs> me of i feel like 
it just throughout history, it doesn't matter where in the world we are, these men just want to kill and their wives are like, no, no, don't do it. Yeah, that's true, actually. Right? Yeah. Where does that come from? I don't know. I mean, to be like super, I'm sure this is a sexist statement, but I think women are just, well, I guess by the very fact that they are sort of, you know, vulnerable all their lives, they also recognize vulnerability in others. And, and, and because they're sort of, you know, the, the recipients of like abuse and oppression in, in so many phases of their life, they kind of recognize that and want to fight for the rights of people who are similarly oppressed. I don't know. Is that, is that a sexist statement? This is the problem with being like a modern day feminist is that you feel like everything you say is sexist. And also just be just apologizing for having an opinion is also part of being like oppressed for so long because you'd That's be true. like, <laughs> that is true. am I allowed to talk my, to speak my mind? Yeah. Am I allowed to just express my opinion without offending anybody? No, I mean, that's what you think. And you're absolutely fair in thinking that. Um, okay. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously, the, the person, there is a power play, right? And they're obviously not as privileged as, like, the sovereign. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah I, I do. I see that. I see that, that they would they would understand where the person who is not in power is coming from. Yeah. So okay. I like it. Yeah. Okay, I think it is now time for. Do you think it's time for our um, trivia session? Oh God! <laughs> it's not very long because I, I, I just don't have too much time. Okay. But okay. Question number one. So you know, Nur Jahan was the wife of Jahangir, Emperor Jahangir. How many wives prior, to, or like, how many wives in total did Jahangir have? Mm. I'm say 11 okay if you had the option of having your pick of you know the best men on the planet how many men do you think it will take <laughs> to satisfy you intellectually emotionally sexually like you know how many men do you think <laughs> is enough what is the upper limit oh my god this is like you know okay so I have thought about this but in terms of like a k-pop group <laughs> We will never escape K-pop. I'm sorry. That is my obsession. It it will keep coming back. I have thought about it, but in terms of my life. Pray tell. (laughs) Oh my God. So you know how like NZD has 21 members and that's just way too many? Yes. Right, and Shiny has five members. I feel like that's, that's a little bit too, too intimate. <laughs> it's a little bit too intimate. I feel like seven, I, seven is a good number for a K-pop group. I like your reasoning. It makes sense to me. Right, because, because, you know, no, if I think about this in terms of like um, the roles that all the boys in a K-pop group play, and then connect this with your question. Like, yeah, I would want somebody who I want because they're just super hot. And I would want one that is just super ripped. And, you know, just when I want to be like, oh, I'm feeling like I just want to be with a muscly dude today, right? <laughs> just for like, <laughs> just to create. For the cerebral sensitive type. Exactly. The guy who wants to Netflix and chill. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, get it. yeah, yeah. Okay, so you said seven. But you said with Jahangir, you think 11. 
I don't fucking know, but yeah, 11 seems like a lucky number. Okay, he had 20 wives. <laughs> oh, so it's closer Not to the NZT. It's a good- <laughs> So, so Mario, basically- we don't know this, but Jahangir had like one wife was for the young people, one was for China, yeah. one, was for- <laughs> one was for the Korean market. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez, imagine. Oh my God, 20. No, 20 but listen. Like 19 too many. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, were these like strategic marriages, like one from every sure province were. of like the subcontinent? Is that what I'm it sure was? a lot of them were strategic, but I think a lot of them were just like, ooh, she's got my eye. She said no to me. <laughs> that means she's in- because mm. men. Interesting. Yeah. I would have thought, yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense if they're like, okay, so I want to conquer the city, but also kind of have them like me. So I'm going to take a wife from the city or yeah, like this province or like this, um, this royal family domicile yeah yeah because like just like putting it out there a lot of these women came from like the persian empire or like the ottoman empire and then they married into like yeah okay 20 damn 20 but also want to point out that after nur jaha he did not marry again because she was woman enough to satisfy this dumb fuck Mm, he just she just like whipped him and tied him up and he was like hell yeah no one else wrapped around his binky (laughs) <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay, second question of the trivia. Yeah. So, okay, <laughs> introductory question. How many, how much money in rupees do you think if you earned a year, you would be happy? Like comfortable life in today's money? Oh my God, this is such a loaded question because I could just be like, define, define a comfortable life. Well, I don't know, like roof above your head, whatever you want to eat, you know, some entertainment money, maybe like one vacation a year. But like, I was just going to be, ask you like a white girl question as a brown girl. Would I be Mm -hmm. able to have like my morning coffee, like an article of coffee every day? Yes, yes. I think that would qualify as a comfortable life. (laughs) I don't know. Okay, second question. Shah Jahan gave his daughter Jahan, no, his wife, Mumtaz Mahal, a stipend for a year. In Mughal money. Oh, kind so of remember, him. Yeah, super kind. So in Mughal money, so if it's like one rupee in Mughal money, I'm sure it's like a bajillion rupees anyway in today's money. But in Mughal money, mm-hmm. how many rupees a year did Mumtaz Mahal get? Um... I'm going to say she probably got upwards of, no, is that, I'm going to say upwards of 500,000 rupees in Mughal no, money. You're not super far off. It's a million rupees a year. Jesus in Christ. Mughal, yeah. Like you could literally eat. For what? Every day. For what? <laughs> was most of it on food? Well, I don't know. I think it was just like upkeep. Because as we obviously know that the fall of the Mughal Empire was, as we were taught in our history books, was because of the decadence of the empire and how they were paying out too much money to like emperors and emirs, which were like nobles and their entourages and like Uh palaces and this lifestyle that they couldn't support. So like, yeah, I I assume it started with Shah Jahan. Was their entourage like paid? Oh, for sure. They were paid, you know, their entertainment would be paid. They would like house in like different places whenever they would travel. So it was like a fuck ton of upkeep, man. They're the people who ruined us, basically. 
they made us vulnerable to the brits if they hadn't if they like controlled learn to budget moguls if you had budgeted we wouldn't be here today mm okay 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 last question last question I'm going to tell you the name of four inventions you've already ruined this question but never mind. I'm sorry. One or more of these was a Mughal invention, okay? Yeah. A prefabricated home like is all the rage in like LA these days. A prefabricated home number 1, number 2 shampoo, number 3 a hookah which is like a water pipe that you smoke tobacco out of for white people, number 4 a metal cylinder rocket. Let me give you those again. prefabricated home shampoo hookah metal cylinder rocket you can phone a friend if you want i ain't got no friends wow wow <laughs> this podcast is literally called my friends favorite <laughs> no it's singular singular there's not friends the apostrophe is not both the <laughs> That would be a really long podcast if we went through like a list of like five people. All of my friends' time. secret obsessions, because that I'm not ready for that. <laughs> okay, so which so this one or more? I'll tell you, it's more than one. So it's more than just shampoo, which you already pointed out. I'm gonna say rocket. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, interesting thing about. Okay, fine. Yes, it is a rocket. Interesting thing about the rockets. Akbar used them on war elephants. Can you imagine a rocket on a fucking elephant? Why? That is some dystopian shit. Like a war elephant, Maryam. If you're going to war, you want your elephant, like Cersei Lannister so desperately wants, and you want a fucking rocket on it. It just makes sense. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I thought he would just use rockets to, like, explode the enemy's elephants. <laughs> I totally misinterpreted no. that. It's like an elephant armed with a rocket. No, it makes okay. sense. It makes sense because, like, uh, I also uh, remember hearing the story about. I don't know if it was Jahangir, but like, who was the emperor that was the most curious? <laughs> was it Akbar? Was it? Uh, I think it was Jahangir. Uh, but yeah, okay. he. Um, there's a story about him, like torturing an animal just to see, like. <gasps> just to see like what happens but it was i mean not for like uh the lulls it's just like the barbaric pleasure of yeah not just for the lulls but just for a scientific reason like he wanted to see oh. how much uh food a rat could eat before he explodes or something like that yeah that sounds like da vinci he used to like um he he was the first person who was like autopsying um dead bodies like corpses so Jeez. that he could study anatomy but like you know for the greater good but also super creepy dude okay i lied um all of these inventions were invented by the moguls prefabricated homes shampoos hookahs metal cylinder rockets yes ah, so the hookahs are like one of our inventions i always thought it came from like yes. the persian empire well apparently not according to the article that i read once <laughs> <laughs> I like this episode so far. It's it's fun talking about my obsession even though you've made me realize that I don't know much about them at all. No, I mean you have like more um, you have knowledge that you have pondered over and had has matured and all of mine is like oh my god, here's what I learned just yesterday in this podcast that I heard or like <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I want to ask you a couple of questions about these moguls. So, Dude. what did you 
did you learn anything that you sort of talk about how a lot of things you learned were not surprising because of like the patriarchy and the culture that we live in and you feel like it was reflective of that was there anything that did surprise you anything that did surprise me Uh, yeah so this was the bit that did surprise me is that um that they were so the princesses what surprised me was that the kings would entrust the princesses to make these sort of politically charged trips and like you know have or like you know like they would be part of negotiations and they would travel independently to make these negotiations that is something that did surprise me and i think that's a very huge departure from like princesses that we hear about in sort of european culture because their yeah. princesses if they weren't in power because obviously they have queens and everything but the princesses were just there to like make a match or to like you know secure like yeah. the loyalty of treatment through marriage so yeah, yeah it's super super interesting also i think it's important to mention that um like uh, the rule of succession is really different in mughal history than it is in like european history Mm-hmm. I mean, the firstborn is not automatically in line for the throne. It's like the king yeah. can get to select who is, and so that is very true. So, like, just in terms of um, the power play within the siblings and how even like the sisters when would interact with their brothers based on who they thought was the king's favorite. Just as we talked about Darashiko and Aurangzeb and how this affected the relationship of. Um, Jahara and Roshanara. I feel yeah. like that's really interesting as well in how like women perceive their roles to be with these different men. Yeah, that's very interesting. That's a very mm. good point. The strongest son would be the one who would be you know, the heir apparent automatically. It's very interesting that UK has just recently after the birth of Prince Charlotte um passed this law which says that girls can be if they're the firstborn they can be the the ruler of the empire. So yeah, women's rights have not <laughs> there's still like a work in progress. Wait, so I don't I didn't know about this. So if if so, William were um if were a woman, he would not be in line for the throne? Oh, for sure, yeah. It goes to the first son. And the then fuck? I think Well, but the, the But they literally have a queen right yeah. now. Yeah, that's true. I'm trying to think what that how that works. I think they did this thing where Princess Charlotte if no, if the first like so what was the first kid called? I've forgotten. James, George, George. If George had been a girl, let me just quickly google this. Talk amongst yourselves. Let me let me ask you a different question. Yeah. Did you relate to these women in any way? Oh, 100%. I just feel like um so Jahara, I feel like it's just so freaking smart and the way that she navigates the court and navigates like the political atmosphere is just just reminded me of like a modern day corporate woman and how and which is something that I did mention uh earlier is that you know she would sometimes weaponize her sexuality because uh mm-hmm. the bazaar gossip would also talk about how she had so many suitors like yeah the muslim accounts would tell you that she's a virgin and she's a devoted like daughter and like you know she is a sufi but then there also you know people also say that there might be some tr- like the historians do not completely discount bazaar gossip and one of uh, one <clears throat> of the popular rumors about her was that she had so many suitors who would go and meet with her and so she probably did sleep around i, I mean she's gorgeous right and she's she has mm-hmm. all this power and she has all this money so it's okay if she mm. sleeps around <laughs> yeah so, more right? power to you get yours girl 
Yeah, but then I've never said that phrase before in my life. (laughs) But like, um, you know, just thinking about how she weaponized her sexuality or how she weaponized her relationships with all these men in her life and, Mm. you know, used it to her benefit and, uh, you know, and she used it to fulfill her ambition to remain Pacha Begum. I just, that's just very, very, I mean, uh, yeah, I see like a modern day woman in, in like the corporate atmosphere who still has the same struggles as she's trying to like ascend the corporate ladder. That's so true. What progress have we made, guys? None. None. (laughs) Uh, That's so true. Okay, I found the article while you were speaking. So, yes, they did pass a law before Princess Kate had her first kid. So, now a firstborn daughter of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge would take precedence over younger brothers before the 300-year-old law stated that the heir to the throne is the firstborn son of the monarch only when there are no sons, and as in the case of the Queen's father, George VI, who only had daughters, does the crown pass to the eldest daughter. So, yeah, women could only rule if there was no son. So that kind of sucks, but I'm glad that they fixed that. And fucking sucks. Yeah. Can I just say also, I want to sort of, do, do you know, have a little disclaimer, because I do realize that we're talking about the Mughal Empire in this way to in this way that's sort of uh, very sort of complimentary and we're talking about how powerful and amazing they were and how much we look up to them. But at the same time, I realized that it was still royalty. And so that means that, you know, the peasants were still being oppressed and they were being squeezed for every sort of rupee's worth and the royals were living in luxury. So there was a huge deal of inequality and we recognized that. We recognized that there was an unfair system, unfair way of dealing things, unjust, And so what we're appreciating is not really the system in and of itself, because, you know, I am pro-democracy all the way. But what we are recognizing is that this was a huge part of the culture of the subcontinent, the art of it, architecture, just the fact that there's this legacy, this history of rulership and ownership and administration and just ruling over so many people that is lost to the annals of history. And so I think that is what we are appreciating, not the fact that this obviously was really bad for poor people and for the downtrodden. So just wanted to sort of point that out. I also want to say that I don't look up to them at all. Like, I want to acknowledge them. Uh, Like, I want to acknowledge Ahara Hmm. for, like, the badass that she was during her time. But I also, I mean, uh, uh, and what I'm acknowledging is that we tend to remember or celebrate like the men in our history. And so we just wanted this podcast to be about kind of like the women who, whose histories haven't really been formally recorded. And only now are, you know, when women have been empowered enough and they think that, you know, they can like study these women a little bit more and find out a little bit more about them. But yeah, I actually want to say, I don't even look up to them, but I kind of, it's nice to acknowledge that, you know, they did play a part in, like the architecture or the poetry or like um, building relation, like, you know, democratic relation, not democratic. I mean, what would you call them <laughs> back in the day? Political alliances yeah, or whatever. Alliances, yeah. yeah. You know, with all these different provinces and different empires. So I, that's something I want to acknowledge, but yeah, we also acknowledge that they were privileged and, and there was a lot of cruelty as there, you know, as there were back in the day and a lot of it was normalized and none of it is okay. And a lot of the decisions that they made were very, very like religiously motivated sometimes. But yeah, I just feel like it's... I would agree with that. Yeah, it's cool yeah, to we're acknowledge acknowledging them as part of our We're acknowledging them, dot, 
not validating what they did, but just sort of acknowledging them and, and, and sort of trying to bring them from the footnotes of history into the, like the, the foray and yeah. sort of saying that these were people who existed and we don't hear much about them and why. And, and, and hopefully this sort of opens up like a dialogue about them and what they did and being critical about it, which is completely acceptable. But yes, I, I would completely um, agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Should I talk about why I'm obsessed with these guys? Go ahead. Okay. So I feel like, so we talked about Bahadur Shah Zafar, who was the last Mughal emperor and how he basically like, um, there was this thing called the, you know, the Indian revolt of 1857. They call it like the mutiny of 1857 in textbooks. And like you sort of say that history is fan fiction. It's basically like, what is that saying that history is written by the victors? Um, and so a lot of history is obviously written by white people. And, and so they call it the revolt and the mutiny. But to us, it should be like the first war of independence, really, because there was brown people and people of the subcontinent fighting against the Brits, right? Um, and trying to reclaim their space and reclaim what they had earned um, back. Um, but the last Mughal emperor, he basically died. He was, you know, he was the last heir of this brilliant empire, which contributed so much to history and architecture and art and language and poetry and all of that. And he died in like a bleak like cell in Myanmar, like, I don't know, like Grindelwald or something, just like wasting away. And, and so for me, the obsession is really trying to understand our place in history and trying to sort of, you know, like you said, acknowledge it. Um, one one um, incident that sort of jumps out at me is that, you know, like in Bengal, um, before the, during the British rule, the um, weavers in Bengal would create saris that were so fine that they could fold them and fit them into a matchbox. Imagine an entire sari that a woman would wear being fine enough, handwoven, to be able to fit inside a single matchbox. Um, and because the Industrial Revolution was happening in Britain um, and their sort of, you know, mass-produced textile was competing with this much finer, much more sort of exquisite Indian subcontinental cloth, what the Brits did was they went to Bengal, they cut off the thumbs of the Bengali weavers so that they couldn't weave anymore. They broke their looms, they imposed duties and tariffs on Indian cloth, and they flooded India with cheaper fabric mass-produced. And to me, that is a very sort of succinct summation of what the British did to the subcontinent. They took away our autonomy, they took away our power, our art, our skill, they decimated libraries, they, you know, tore down places of worship, and they completely sort of ruined our legacy and basically erased it from the annals of history. And so for me, my obsession sort of stems from this desire to understand where I come from. Um, but um, it sort of stems from this place of trying to understand where I come from and trying to sort of reinstate the, the history um, back into uh, the world, basically the, the knowledge that is contributed to the world. So it's a way to remember, it's a way to acknowledge both the beauty of the empire as well as the, the, the horrible aspects of it, the crushing down of the oppressed, the you know, squeezing them for every rupee's worth. And, and, and a way to appreciate what we lost in a way. So um, for me, that's where my obsession stems from. And uh, I hope that it was sort of interesting for you as well. Um, do you have any sort of final words to say about this? I mean, that's kind of made me a little bit emotional how, <laughs> I mean, no, just the fact that it, that, that is one of the first thing, or one of the first problems that I encountered 
was that mm-hmm. there just were not enough sources for me to learn about, you know, these, like a dynasty that is, that, yeah, they fucked up, but they also like, you know, there, there's a history there that was, that was essentially erased. And you're, you're so right. And we're still feeling the consequences of that now. So they basically, this is erasure is exactly what you're talking about. And mm-hmm. that, that sucks. Yeah, that does suck. Yeah. Mm. So, Mariam, <laughs> on this Christ. very downer note. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> I was going to say, just before you go in, this was light and day yeah. from our last wrap-up. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Ask me the million-dollar question. <clears throat> Can I have a drum roll, please? That doesn't sound like the Doctor Who theme track. I am. How would you rate my secret obsession? Um, now, the thing is, your obsession is a little bit controversial. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, um, now see, this is exactly why it is controversial. Because I don't want to say that they did good things. But what I want to say is that they made important contributions. And yeah. that is something that has been erased from history as we know it. Mm-hmm. So, and they did things regardless of whether they were good or bad. Even if they were bad, they should be counted for in history. I think that is what history is for. It's to count the yeah. good and the bad so you can learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, if you can remember somebody like a Churchill for all the things they did and still make movies about him where you're calling him your hero. Absolutely. Right? I feel like we can learn more about them, which is more than just like a romantic, like a romanticized uh, version of what Shazada Salim and Meranasa were like. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think your obsession is like a solid six for me. <laughs> I'm down with that. A six is good. A six is good. But I'm, yeah, it, it could I'll... be more if I, if I had more source material to immerse myself yes. in. I completely agree. Incredible source material. Yeah. It's very hard to find good information on the Mughals. And I don't know, like, I think like now it's too late to sort of delve back. I don't know who could do this for us. <laughs> Maybe we should write something about the Mughals, but I don't know how you would no, go about doing that. I do want to acknowledge these two women, um, Ira Mukoti, who's, who I've been referencing a lot, and Ruby Lal, because uh, mm-hmm. they were talking about how throughout like their academic careers, people kept, uh, people kept berating them for choosing these uh, choosing this as their topic um, of research because there are no sources and their whole argument is that there are sources. They're just, you know, they have to be explored a little bit more and with the same way that you explore like like Eurocentric history. Yeah. I would recommend for anyone who's interested in these women and in sort of this, this you know, the, the, the lives of the Mughal emperors, um, read Shadow Princess by Indu Sundaresan. It's like a fictionalized, very sort of, you know, reader-friendly account of the children of Shah Jahan, and specifically focusing on, Shah, uh, on Jahara. Uh, but that's, that's Shadow Princess is a book that I would recommend. All right. So this was like a... All right. This was interesting. Downer? <laughs> it wasn't a downer. It was just interesting. This week we're doing one of yours. So hope I'm like more hopeful that it's going to be more fun. <laughs> I'm just going to say something that I mentioned quite a lot. And be- I'm just trying to like explain to our listeners that you have 
interests that are that are a little bit more scholarly. <laughs> and mine are just a little bit more more for the masses is what I'm trying. I would to. just I would just like to point out that when me and Mariam were going through like what our likes would be and I said like a couple of like sort of highbrow things and then my last one was erotica with like four question marks. <laughs> <laughs> so I am not as scholarly as I seem to you. <laughs> no, but I also feel like highly intellectual people are super into erotica, so. <laughs> no, for real things. <laughs> for real things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. Your stuff is a lot more interesting anyway. And it's really interesting because it's something that I would never seek out on my own. And when I do, I'm like, why have I not looked into this? This is like a whole world that is lost to me because I'm so sort of focused on like my own shit. So yeah, this is, I feel like this is going to be a great sort of learning journey for the both of us. <laughs> yeah, I would never have like found out more about like our cultural history if, if it weren't for this yes. podcast. So. Well, I am glad. See you again next time, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.